You're listening to the Effective Developer Podcast. My name is Sebastian, and in this episode, we have another interview, and I'm interviewing Cliff Click. A lot of you probably know him, and if not, then you should, because I would say Cliff is one of the reasons why Java has been so successful uh, since he was one of the core contributors to Hotspot. And Hotspot is the JVM uh, just-in-time compilation engine, and one of the reasons why Java actually runs that fast. And besides that, Cliff is a wealth of knowledge in all things compilers, especially uh, on the JVM, but also with regards to productivity. So we had uh, some very interesting conversations um, on different conferences and unconferences around the world. And um, right now, Cliff, among other things, is hacking on some open source programming language called AA. And well, he will tell you in the interview. So I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you will too. All right. And now we have Cliff in our show. Cliff, welcome. And I'm very happy that you're here. And well, to, to start off with, um, with regards to productivity, can you describe how an ideal day, an ideal Cliff Click day looks like for you with regards to productivity? Oh, sure. So I do my best coding in the morning after mm -hmm. I get up. So get up, get my coffee. This is Coffee Compiler Club. So Very you know, important. get my coffee. Um, and usually sit down and go uninterrupted till lunch. Um, if I'm really on a roll, you can tell by looking at me and my wife will bring me a sandwich and a Coke and let me just keep going. Yeah. Um, so she's totally, you know, in on the game here. Um, otherwise I take a walk once or twice a day to keep mm -hmm. in shape to keep, you know, COVID from driving me, you know, cabin fever crazy. Yeah. Um, Usually, you know, if I feel like I've, I've solved something and I'm just rolling along and getting it implemented, then I'll code until dinner. Um, sometimes I take more breaks for other stuff because I need mm -hmm. to chill out and think about things. Um, and then usually I'm done with coding by dinner time. And 50% of the time, I call up my brother in Georgia and we do first-person shooters. Yes. <laughs> Do awesome. videos until bedtime, something like that. So that that's my coding day. It's it's really starts coding in earnest around nine, uh, and I'm done at five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that sounds actually like a very nice day in terms of that you can do a lot of you know the deep work, the focused work without pretty much interruptions, right? Uh, like except yeah, the breaks, focused work. Uh -huh. Yeah, and that's a key thing for doing like let's say compiler stuff and then a lot of theory heavy stuff. Deep focus work needs no interruptions. Yep. So part of my daily ritual is I do not have desktop pop-ups enabled for anything. Yep. Um, I guess email comes occasionally if it gets annoying. I will kill the email one too, but I don't do Slack pop-ups and I don't do, I don't know what people use for modern days productivity. Turn them all off because that, that just breaks you out of the flop. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we actually had this topic many times on the podcast, and I'm very happy that you say the same things. And you know, just just makes sense. And especially um, somebody uh, like you who works on a really complex topic, right? Like the uh, the more of these small things that you have to keep in your head, like they have to keep in your uh, temporary memory to uh, just yeah be productive. That's, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, crucial, right? Of course, it gets. Yep. Yep. 
Awesome. So, so what are the things you, you work on um, uh, right now, just in terms of, you know, like uh, project or technologies? Um, of course, you do a lot of right. things, compilers. and um, so I'm, Right. I'm, I'm working on a programming language right now called AA. It's open source. It's GitHub, click, click, slash AA. The main thing going on now is I'm integrating Hindley-Milner functional typing and sort of classical C or Java core flow typing, which is sort of a hard problem in the industry for the past 40 years. Nary the twain of these two versions of the world seem to have met. Um, I have a good theory going. I have an implementation that's a work in progress. So AA currently has a confused typing system because it's half there and half not. And because mm -hmm. it doesn't actually type properly yet, it doesn't actually do anything. Um, but I can type lots of cool stuff. Um, I just don't have the complete set going yet. And then I really like the programming language as in terms of uh, um, conciseness, mm -hmm. preciseness, and it's a super trivial grammar, um, no keywords in the language at all. Okay. So it's very, very dense. But that's me talking about language and having fun with the programming. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing for fun. Um, I do consulting on the side. I'm helping another company do, uh, they want to do you know, an SQL beater, mm -hmm. um, replacement uh, uh, declarative, not imperative language to describe um, queries over data sets with relational math, mm -hmm. relational algebra. And they have an unusual implementation strategy that has not panned out as well as they would like. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so I'm sort of late to the party with them and I'm explaining to them how to basically generate code for their stuff that doesn't suck. So they're busy trying to get their code generation sorted out. Um, I do consulting yeah, a couple other times. Uh, any given time in the, in the year, I'll pick up four or five consulting jobs that run from a week to a couple months. Yeah. And I have my investments, which I manage, and that, therefore I'm mostly completely self-sufficient. Um, so I don't have anything other, there's no, no official work work things I'm doing. Uh, travel's been killed for COVID right. for another six months or something. That drives me nuts now. I used to travel a lot, really liked it. Now I got to figure out what I'm doing. Same, yeah. I know. Well, at least we developers can kind of cope with it that we're still, you know, like productive and yeah. in some regards, like even more, right? Because less interruptions. Um, but yeah. also, you have it's to. Introverts guess, delight, yeah. right? Yeah. Don't bug me because COVID. Oh, okay. Well, God, that works. So I got not, not getting you bugged. <laughs> right. No, that's cool. So it means that you also sometimes have other type of work days. So not only uh, developing, but sort of a little bit managing. Yeah, well, I was talking to you, right? Or... Right. I'm talking to you, so I'm doing a podcast. Yeah. So if I get on, if I'm talking to these other folks doing whatever consulting gig, I'm on the, I'm on Zoom typically. Right. Somewhere between nine and ten in the morning until whenever we're done, which might be noon or one or two or something. Um. When I'm done with that kind of stuff, I often don't pick up coding. I'm sorry, don't pick up AA if I'm in the middle of something deep because I can't get my focus in time to do yeah. something useful. If I'm just rounding out the corners and shallow enough, I might grab it and just go and do stuff. But I'll always take like a, a physical break, a walk mm -hmm. break somewhere in the middle there. But yeah, so not only coding all day. If I'm if I'm consulting, I'm on the phone just like this. No, it makes sense. Um, 
So, so a question regarded to that, because for me, I'm I'm based in Europe right now because I'm also not traveling, and and actually time zones help a lot because then I work a lot for with U.S. time zones, but then I get my deep work time in the morning where everybody mm -hmm. over there is still asleep, which actually helps me a lot. But it sounds like you know very you're very similar in terms of the times where you would like to work uh, productively, yeah. but then you get into these phone calls at the same time, right? So is that a big yeah. collision often, or how are you trying to? Yeah, it's totally collision. And it's totally due to time zones and yeah. it's totally due to, you know, the combination of COVID and whatever it's the work teams these days are often distributed. So there are some European folks, right? So they're, they're on, you know, they're talking to me at their dinner time and I'm up at nine in the morning. Um, the reverse direction I could possibly do, but then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be giving them my best efforts because by the evening time, my brain's kind of a little burnt out. Mm -hmm. So, I can give them a little more generic advice, but I don't feel like it's fair to like, they're, they're paying top dollar for me. I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not cheap. Um, so I give them the good time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the morning for me yeah, so and that's evening for them. And then that eats up my coding time. Right. So, so it sounds, it's better for, you know, the meeting time for the folks who are in there, but it's a little bit worse for your coding time because then, you know, the productive morning right, gets right, 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 right. for that. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. cool. Um, going a little bit more into technical things. Um, so when it comes to tooling or, you know, like IDEs that you use uh, with languages, uh, be it Java or not. So, so what are your, your toolings that you typically like uh, spend the time yeah. in, like uh, editors, IDEs, command line? Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm an old school Emacs guy. Um, uh -huh. Emacs for 40 years. Emacs is a windowing oh. system. Emacs is a command line tool. Emacs is an IE. Emacs does things my IntelliJ never can do, um, except debug Java. Emacs does really well debugging C code, C++, but Java mm -hmm. and Emacs never got themselves figured out. So I'm using IntelliJ to debug uh, Java mm -hmm. code, which is what I'm writing AA in. Um, so I'm flipping back and forth between IntelliJ and Emacs. And yeah, I know there's an mm -hmm. Emacs there's an Emacs, uh, what do you call it, mode in IntelliJ. And it's like the uncanny valley for, you know, looking at CGI on people. It's not close enough. It's close, but not close enough that it, I, I mm. miss finger fumble continuously because they don't have the same controls, the same cursor movements for the same kind of actions. And then there's some yeah. key features that Emacs are not anywhere in IntelliJ, including, you know, comment reflowing um, and, and various kinds of refactoring things work better in Emacs than they do in IntelliJ. Like IntelliJ has one button refactoring some, some cool stuff, but usually the really cool stuff is really complicated and I have to hand inspect every possible mm -hmm. refactoring point because they're not gonna be an obvious refactoring. It's not gonna be just a dummy cut and paste magic thing. And I have to retool yeah. each point. So I have to hand inspect anyhow. And, and having the full power of Emacs um, as an editor on um, hand inspecting works better. Yeah, just a, uh, just a second. Can you give an example for these uh, refactoring points? Because from my um, perspective, especially IntelliJ is very uh, powerful with refactoring. So have, do you have an example where uh, Emacs yeah. is more like powerful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more convenient. So, so the obvious poster child of the other way where IntelliJ just wins sort of easily is that I would just want to rename a function. The rename in Emacs mm -hmm. isn't quite smart enough to follow all the Java ins and outs, and I have to be a little careful with it. I totally do it, but it won't mm -hmm. get them all right, and I'll have to go sort some by hand. IntelliJ will get it right. That's great. But suppose I want to come along, and I want to change the signature to a call, 
and I want to move some things across the call boundary up and down. And along the way, I have to change the code at each point because the same things are not available. Like there's no redundant code here. It's not completely duplicate. But there is some common sharing wants to go on. Mm -hmm. So about 80% of the call sites want to move something that's out in and change how they're passing it, but they renamed the passing. And 20% have to build it from scratch, the thing that they wanted to have to move in or out mm -hmm. or do something other change, right? So it's not a perfect fit. There is no conceptually correct bang, press, this is the refactor function. So I have to visit every site. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, I have to do some intelligent thing at some interesting fraction of the sites. So it's easier for me to do a bulk move in Emacs and leave broken code at the sites where it failed. So that's pretty easy operation. And then I just do the build and the errors pop up and Emacs just, you know, one button for mm -hmm. the build and I pop to the errors by a button pop, same as you do in IntelliJ, just pop each error. And, and right away I have the full screen, the full editor available to me and I can now make my edits as if I'm editing, because I am, da, 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 right? So that's no, the kind of thing that goes on on a regular basis. What, where I find IntelliJ is a little more, uh, a little more dangerous is if I have a thing that looks like a simple refactoring, mm -hmm. but it has something that needs to be a little bit different. IntelliJ offers, uh, you know, some sort of monkey cut, monkey do refactoring, yeah. except yeah. that it won't be correct, and I still have to inspect the sites. And mm -hmm. the act of inspecting the sites will bring me around to realizing where I need to do a hand thing. Like, I know it's not quite correct, but I've taken it before. And then it does mm -hmm. something, but it's subtly broken. And it's subtly broken. And I can't find all the sites now because I don't have them in an easy way to go get. Whereas if I just mm -hmm. break the code, they'll show yeah. up in the compiler errors. So I, I failed out on a couple of those where I took an easy refactoring that was just incorrect. And I have failed on the ones where I knew it was not correct and IntelliJ would just demand I fix them all before he would do any of the refactoring by giving yeah. me a, a correctable thing. But that was a very clunky way to edit code. So instead, I was just like, no, 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 no. I'll just do the half-assed refactor and then break everything and then I'll mm -hmm. fix the bugs of the editor. And break it on purpose, yeah. Yeah, yeah break it on no, purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the compiler and Emacs, you know, integration, that's really instantly quick and fast and it does all the right syntax coloring and stuff. So that all just happened. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the main refactoring things that the Emacs, uh, uh, let's say touch typing things that IntelliJ doesn't do right have to do with auto indent. Um, I, I, there's a bunch of weird ones that really drive me nuts. There's the auto refactor, not refactor, the auto, what's the right word for it here? The auto put in quotes and parens for the backside. Mm -hmm. If you put the front, it puts the back one in. That one drives me nuts. And yeah. I, yeah, yeah, because I'm going to do it anyhow. But immediately <laughs> it breaks like all my, my standard finger movements for where I'm going to do word jump left, right, up, down kinds of things because it's yeah. done a, a balance when I didn't expect it. Um, it has, oh, okay. I think you can turn these off that it does the auto completions when you hit like an open. Right. Right. I go back and forth on trying to decide if I, if I want it off or not, I have to go turn it off. The other main one is it doesn't do auto completion smartly the way Emacs does. And you're like, wait, no auto completion. Um, what happens is I will be typing something, realize I need to change the name. The name's a little off. I'll hit, mm -hmm. you know, back a word, wipe out, type something. And he'll go and hit and, and, and see that I've got what I want correctly on the screen. 
he will have popped up a list below me of optional choices that are extra things he's going to throw in, but I have the correct answer on the screen. Mm -hmm. So I just want that menu to go away and my default behaviors to hit enter. He then inserts his, his new thing, but I had the correct thing on the screen. Uh -huh. Now he broke me, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, there are times when I have to go like add and include. So because what I'm typing is out of scope, he will not let me type the wrong, the, the correct thing that will be in scope after the include comes in. He will not mm -hmm. let me type it without forcing an auto include choice without doing something crazy to get that menu to go away when mm -hmm. it's popped up. So, so his auto completion is like in my face too aggressively. Mm -hmm. Whereas the one in Emacs is a lot, it's dumber and smarter at the same time. It's dumber. Yeah, it in doesn't that, try to be that smart. It doesn't try to be that smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it also will pattern match um, a little, not totally like language agnostic pattern match which means it will pick up things that shouldn't be allowed, but it picks up things that should, and usually two, three characters, you have it. It mm -hmm. picks up the right thing that you want, and you're done. And even if mm -hmm. it's not in scope or not correctly valid at the moment, and you'll hit a different button to do the pound include fix in a second, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas IntelliJ is like, no, 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 you don't really mean this because that's not in scope, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it just won't let me do it. I have to like really, really beat it around. So, so I get frustrated with a bunch of the IntelliJ things. Like, and I haven't found a way by way to turn... There's nothing that went down. I can turn it off, and I get no auto-completion. Mm, yeah. That sucks, too. <laughs> so, so I don't love IntelliJ for that piece. Um, the other one, of course, is you must touch the mouse all the time because there's so many windows that keep popping up and down. You can't select the windows conveniently. They, it changes focus constantly on me mm -hmm. um, in ways that don't make any sense. I frequently have complicated breakpoints I need to set at places. And Emacs under a text command line debugger, there's like an up arrow auto completion thing. I get the complicated breakpoint right away. In IntelliJ, I have to very carefully, precisely aim the mouse on my giant monitor with small font on the line in question. Yeah, yeah. And, and if I don't get it right, I have to click around. And if I'm left or right, it pops up like annotations. Do you want to do that? No, fuck it out of my face. I want a freaking breakpoint, right? Um, so there's like three different narrow columns and horizontally it's the line numbers. I have a very precision click, which is slow, much faster with the keyboard. I want line three, two, one. I'm staring at the fucking line number. I can type it <laughs> much faster than I can grab the mouse, much less move and aim yeah. and click the mouse. So I get annoyed at the must use mouse for many things. And I get annoyed at the auto completion, which is in your face too much. And, you know, maybe I'm done whining. There, there are a couple other things that I would do differently, but maybe, you know, I could see left or right, up or down. Mm -hmm. The other thing, of course, is that I do deep systems level coding. And so all the layers upon layers upon layers of add-on editors for doing XML and JSON this and that, and I don't know what all, screen refactoring for, none of that ever applies to me. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. always a giant pile of screen mess I have to get rid of. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, one thing I also am specifically interested in is um, the t uh, kind of build process or not even build, but while you're in the state of coding, like how do you get the feedback in terms of please compile, please run the test and things like that to get, you know, as, as fast feedback as possible. So what kind of tooling and integration do you use there? Right, or? right, right. I use the same old thing I've used for 40 years because it's fast and it's reliable. I use make. Okay. Yeah, you know, this is, I, I'm not going to, if you ask, I will rant on Gradle. Gradle is fundamentally broken. Fine. 
make a stupid syntax, but it's stupid syntax, and many, many programming languages have stupid syntax. You, you, you have an editor that understands the syntax, everyone does, mm -hmm. it's not hard. Okay, get past the syntax of make. Make is instantly quick. It's does the right thing, and that it only talks about the, the only source of atomicity you have when you're doing anything with a parallel make system. You have to deal with the atomicity of parallel build steps. Mm -hmm. The only atomicity source you have is the file system. So it only makes sense to talk about file system tasks. That's the only thing that you can ever uniquely claim with an atomic update, which make only ever talks about. So, so it does the right thing, and it only talks about whether files are in or out of time with each other, and does atomic updates with file stamps, which this is where Gradle fails. Once you get past that, then the build is sort of instantly quick. It's completely cross-platform, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's super well integrated. Sorry, it's, it's my, my spam likely here. Um, <laughs> we talked about distractions before. <laughs> exactly, right? I haven't got to the point where I need to reliably kill my phone, but I have had spam day be like four calls before breakfast of somebody speaking Chinese to me. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I recorded you know, spam Chinese talk. Okay, guys, be done with that. There's a great um, feature, it's called flight mode. I use this all the oh time. Oh my God. <laughs> So, so once I'm in the zone, I am hitting a button in Emacs. So, so as I type, Emacs will correctly indent, and the indentation per imbalance errors show up that way. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, when I when I have, and it will correctly syntax highlight as I go, and so syntax errors show up that way. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm ready for compile, I hit a button um, that pops up, you know, it, it throws the errors up and takes me to the first error and I have a button to rotate between errors. It's all great. It's the usual schmick. Um, once I have a build that's going, I'll alt tab to IntelliJ mm -hmm. and I'll hit, and this is where it gets IntelliJ has, you know, fuck up number 17, one, two or three buttons, depending on the state it's in to make it run what I just built. So sometimes, say, after an hour, IntelliJ, the, the, the Java process that has been debugging will never release and will never go away. Mm -hmm. So you must manually kill it. Mm -hmm. And IntelliJ demands a manual kill request. So you have to hit Control-F2 to kill mm -hmm. the prior task. Then you have to hit Control-F9 to build, Control-F5 to run it. But 9 will typically go if... You're going to actually run it. So it's really, it's control of five and you wait. And if it didn't go, mm -hmm. I had to stare and say, why didn't it go? So I wait a few seconds and I'm like, fuck, oh, it's broken. So now I hit control of two and then I hit control five or not because I'm in the habit of hitting control five because I'm in the flow and I'm not paying attention. Yeah. I don't need a, a variable count of steps. Yeah. If I happen to have two or three debug sessions running and they're all hung, the control of two will ask me which one. Yeah. So that'll be the third press. So it's F5. Oh, you're hung. F2. Oh, you're multiply hung. Pick one. Right? So one, two, or three buttons to make a fucker go. Yeah, yeah. This is like the stupidest thing on the planet. I don't care. Of course the debug process is wedged. It's because you'd love to think Java was perfect, but no, it's broken. Don't ask me. Fucking gun it down with a machine gun and roll on. Right? That's what the OS is for. The OS is perfect here, and the, and the, you know, the, the Java process is not. Kill the Java process. Move on with life. Drive me nuts. So, so here's a debug report for IntelliJ. Give me a one button, build and run the debugger on the, the main task, whatever main happens to be. And mm -hmm. I don't care how you define main. And don't stop for nothing. Burn mm -hmm. it down. 
Also, so the whole hot swap thing, running in. Mm -hmm. my, my bugs are quick and fast. I don't need hot swap. And I don't need you to tell me that you could or could not hot swap or ask me to go forward <laughs> because you failed to hot swap. Fucking go forwards, right? And don't bother to hot swap. Just burn it and go. Okay. Nah. <laughs> so, so well, no, it's actually important to care about these, you know, like small details because what, like, yeah, like you say, it, it, it picks you out of the flow. Exactly. So even if yeah. you just have to think, oh, which button to press, because actually you don't want to think about it because you have more, you know, complicated problems to solve. More complicated than stuff than in the head. I just want to get to the debug point as fast as I can. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And after no, that, that you know. The, the complications have to do with where I set my breakpoints and how you debug a compiler and how you debug a complicated systemsy thing. And they're nothing to do really with IntelliJ. That's tooling that's very important to my world, but nothing to do with IntelliJ. This is sort of hand-rolled tooling mm -hmm. related to debugging the problem at hand. No, makes sense. I have different tooling. And I'm about testing. Current. I'm sorry? Go ahead. Um, and about testing, um, the parts of that is also part of that build process. Uh, when you run I'm and sorry, compile and texting, and uh, testing, testing, like unit tests or mm -hmm. yeah, I run yeah, I run unit tests. Uh, it's test-driven development, classically. So I'm writing. Uh, I'm, I'm right now. I'm I'm debugging my typing theory stuff, right? So I have these test mm -hmm. cases that invoke corner cases in the typing system. Hey, what happens if this and this mm -hmm. and this and this? So I have a little tiny, you know two, three line AA program as a text string. I have a test harness that yep. runs it through the AA compiler, gets the error message back, and compares it to the error that I expect. Right, And so it, it blows up because the test failed. OK, so now I set breakpoints when I'm generating my answer at various places. But it's all mm -hmm. driven by the test. So I have a, you know mm -hmm. eh, maybe 1,000 of these tests right now. Um, so when I'm not, you know, I don't have things broken, I hit the, you know, go run all the tests and it IntelliJ is the right thing there and plows through roughly a thousand. You know, it's it's like fifty top level IntelliJ unit tests in theory. Each unit test internally has twenty to hundred internal AA tests. Um, so I have mm -hmm. about a thousand AA tests right now going. Eh. And how fast is the feedback of that? Like when you're in, you know, the coding flow and then you hit the test finally when it's um, compiling and then, you know, how fast do you get right. the feedback? So the run the thousand tests that there's um, all but one will be done in a minute in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And the one guy does a quadratic, well, quintet, whatever, not it's into the fourth search over a, a very large state space. He's like 15 minutes mm -hmm. by himself. Um, and I don't mm -hmm. do him very often. But, uh, he also doesn't find very much stuff anymore because he, he in the beginning, he found lots of things, mm -hmm. but now he doesn't find much stuff anymore because I don't hit that style of problem now. So most of the tasks get done in under two minutes, what, under 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. It's pretty quick. And, and that's an important process to go through. If you're looking at desktop development and you want to have a pre-push pre test, you get a pre-push mm -hmm. test that goes past five minutes, that's hardly, that's not worth it anymore. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I keep mine like under two minutes. Um, and if it's more than that, then it's time to hand it to the, you know, test harness who's going to run it in the background on a big farm and maybe roll up multiple pushes at the same time and run them together mm -hmm. or whatever. Yes, yeah, it's and, classical and that's fast continuous integration. For your 
Mm-hmm. That's fast enough for your um, type of, you know, like workflow or you don't hit them very often because uh, for me, even, you know, something that is a little bit more than 10 seconds or whatever, it, it's still, you know, you will you will kind of be distracted just by the waiting time. You know what I mean? And yep. just say, yep. oh, let me check my email and whatever. Uh, while uh, right. So, so we have to break out here. I am, um, you asked for run them all because I'm done with mm-hmm. something. Right. Okay. That's the 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. The test at the moment, the thing that's breaking mm-hmm. of my thousand, the one that I'm currently working on yep. gets there in a couple seconds. And only because yep. I have debugging flags turned on and assertions and breakpoints everywhere. If I turn all those off, it would crash in, in a fraction of a second. Yeah. So I've slowed it down to two, three seconds by piling on and piling on and piling on. Yeah, it makes sense. No, I think that also aligns with what you said about, you know, your make uh, build system just to get super fast feedback and say, okay, you know, now I'm done typing, just hit one keystroke and then tell me, you know, what's, uh, what's up, like tell me if it works or not and then move on to just yeah. really stay yeah, in the flow yeah. experience, right? Right. And if I think I'm, I'm there already, like it was a stupid thing, stupid typo, it's going to, I'll edit it in Emacs, hit the button, alt tab without waiting for the Java C to be done switch to IntelliJ and hit, you know, control F5 and, and, and run all and take off right away. Cause it has to do a build too. The, the two builds are independent. So it has mm-hmm. to build too. It has a nicer incremental build. I'm using, you know, Java C with uh, make and Java C and make don't play nicely either. This is part of Java's issue. It doesn't do, it tries to do half of a make and it does it badly. So, you know, Java C and make don't have a polite way to, pass back and forth the set of dependencies that are necessary to get built here. Like I can't tell Java C to build these things and mm-hmm. Java C demands things get built that aren't part of what make believes based on file stamps. So there's some, there's some failure mismatch going back and forth. So it's a little slower than it ought to be. Um, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fast enough to get the job done at the scale I'm coding at. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and with regards to the build system, do you use some uh, dependencies or extra libraries that you have to pull in or not for the stuff that you're doing? Um, I have a very strong opinion about extra library dependencies, and I do pull some in. Um, so the main, the main thing is I do systems programming all the time. I cannot have the libraries rolling up, changing on me and adding new bugs, except when I ask for them. And I've been burned badly in the past by broken internet so I want no reach out and touch yeah. the internet build steps in my make system anywhere. Yeah. And that's how I asked for it. So the main thing that I would get would be like, I'm on an airplane and I hit the build and it goes to Maven Central and it doesn't give me a, a file not found, socket not found, can't reach destination, no internet. No, 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 no. It gives me a byte a second, one byte a second. Fast enough for email, not fast enough for anything to do with Maven. Um, and, and so my Indeed. build like hangs for two minutes uh-huh. while I'm flying through, you know, a 12 hour, you know, transatlantic flight. No, 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 no. See, if you turn off your Wi-Fi, then it fails right away and says you have no Wi-Fi. I can't find and it quits. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you don't get your email. Okay, fine. So, so the fix is that I have a local copy of all these libraries and I have a one line per in my make file that says mm-hmm. this is the version of the library I want. And I have a separate make step that, gets the libraries um, that I only run when I want to update the library things. And that will touch Maven and do a wget and compare mm-hmm. the files and update only if they've changed kind of thing. Does all the right things you expect out of a make system. And otherwise the libraries are now local. 
Mm. So in my build directory, there's a lib, there's a set of libraries you get the first time you do a make or if you do a make with uh, 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 update the libs. And there's a one line in the make file per lib with a version number, just like you'd expect. And, and that's it. And you get your version libraries in. No, I think this makes a lot of sense, actually, especially with regards to, you know, short turnaround times and just being fast and not asking for, you know, problems that you don't want to solve right now, <laughs> like the I, internet connection. Exactly. I don't, yes, I don't need to pick up a new problem and I don't need you to be slow to hand me a new problem. <laughs> yeah, slowly check Maven every time in my life so that as fast as you can, you can hand me a new problem. No, 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 let's say no to that stuff. <laughs> Um, another thing for, with regards to tools are actually hardware setup, because I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, mechanical keyboards and all of that stuff. So what, what setup do you have um, at home at your desk and, you know, like desktop kind of computer or? I, I have a, I have a Cherry mechanical switch keyboard. I was going to show you, but this is a podcast. Yeah, so people won't see you. So yeah, but Cherry mechanical keyboard with a loud clicky sound. Oh, the, the blue switches? Uh, oh, blue, that they're, mine are not blue. If they're clicky, then probably, or, or they're, 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 they're fairly ones, loud. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could get them quieter and you can get them louder. And I'm used to, like I grew up learning how to code on an IBM, you know, Selectromatic typewriter computer keyboard mm -hmm. thing. And they had a very loud mechanical action, yeah. but it's also very feedback sensitive. So mm -hmm. you could touch type and feel that you knew you had a key hit or not. Um, and you get these little chiclet keyboards and they lose some of that feel and then you're not sure if you've got the hit or not. That's yeah. the trick, right? So I have a loud mechanical keyboard. Yeah. I have a giant monitor. It's a curved Dell three foot wide monitor. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's tall, it's big, it's high resolution. These things are all fairly cheap these days. That's true. I just upgraded my internet to whatever fiber. I've got a nice webcam. I have a nice mic. I have a sound system with separate speakers. And and importantly, I have a volume knob on the sound system that is a, a thumb screw, thumb yeah. twist, right? Yeah. Which means there's no software involved. Yeah, that's good. Which means there's no software fails involved. So yeah. I just leave all my sound always at max for all the software things, and they have no problems being at max. Mm -hmm. And then I have a dial on my desk that I can turn up and down according to the loudness I want. No, that makes sense. It's like uh, the folks who have a mechanical switch for mute button on like uh -huh. Zoom calls there just to say, you know, uh -huh. like to yeah, avoid all well, the software errors. It's 100% it's, it's reliable, has a strong, solid feel. Yeah. Same reason you have a, a camera has a mechanical shutter to prevent mm. spying, right? right? When you're done with your camera, you have a mechanical shutter. Exactly. Highly reliable, cheap, easy, <laughs> easy to validate. It's open or closed, right? <clears throat> the whole, all the software games people play with these things yeah. miss the point. Yeah, like when especially we de software developers say these things, right? Like just use the hardware <laughs> solution. It's yeah, right. <laughs> We know, you know, software developers develop bridges. We would never cross a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. 100%. Um, yeah, for, for some other uh, less technical. Oh, wait. No, no, no. I have a, have a rant here. I'm, I'm holding up. You can't see. I'm holding up a nice headset uh -huh. with a good mic with a tail oh. and a wire. Okay, why is there a wire? So, so, so no battery startup, that can run out. That's boring. <laughs> well, and there's Bluetooth that it doesn't depend on. And the last startup I was at was doing uh, uh, Bluetooth uh, IoT sensors mm -hmm. where you had these little tiny things that would broadcast once a second, hundreds and thousands of them mm -hmm. to track 
uh, uh, motions of, of expensive things on factory floors, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, so track a thousand things running around a factory floor. Okay. What it really meant was that in your dev space, you had uh, 50 gateways that were sending and receiving Bluetooth and a thousand little tiny sensors that were broadcasting mm. once a second. And every Bluetooth headphone on the planet would just fail. Wow. Endlessly, endlessly fail. Now, please, sir, buy, pair me up with my headset. Let me look at the list of Bluetooth things that my computer sees and the list <laughs> just go on and on and on. I'll Never mind. <laughs> so I have oh, a nice wired headset. The battery never runs out. There's no, you know, Bluetooth pair, not the pair, connection issue. It, they can't wander away from my desk. It's all these good things. Fine. Nice. Yeah. Keep it simple and reliable. That's good. I like that. Keeping it simple. Yeah, because I have complicated things already in my life. I'm cutting yeah. complexity out elsewhere, everywhere I can. Uh, it definitely makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah, and some less technical uh, questions, actually, or things like um, all the projects and things you, you, know, you, you do and you manage. So what is some like recommendations or things you do in, in terms of managing all of that stuff, like some sort of uh, time or task management that you do or, you know, like planning and uh, looking at the next week and, hey, where actually to spend all that time on or what is your right, right. thoughts on that? Um, right. So, so where I'm at right now, I have minimal planning in my life, but I certainly have had more and less planning go around. But the, the life lesson here is that you do the hard stuff first or hardest stuff that you don't want to do to get it done. Mm -hmm. And then you can do the fun stuff without worrying in the background. Oh, I still have to go deal with you get rid of that background mm -hmm. nagging thing. Damn it. I have to go schedule a meeting with blah, blah, blah. Damn it. I have to go, whatever it happens to be. I have to go interview this guy. I have to go answer this email. I have to go, whatever, get those things done first and out of the way. Um, and, and sometimes I burn a morning, which is my best coding time, just to deal with the emotional trauma of dealing with things that have happened in my past. So it hasn't happened in a while, but you know, I had a terrible divorce a decade ago and I had to pick a time mm -hmm. of day when I was prepared to go deal with divorce issues. Um, mm -hmm. That, like I said, that, that was all better now. These days, um, my schedule's very simple. Um, you know, COVID has killed all travel. I don't have anything else going on. Mm -hmm. I have meetings once or twice a week with paying clients that are well scheduled in advance. After that, I'm free as I come and go. And as I feel like it, I get up and take my walks or we go walk to Starbucks or we go whatever as a, you know, as a thing, but I don't have a scheduling issue. Um, once a month, I, I pay my bills. Once a month, I sort on my investments. Those are all things that require diligence and have an emotional mm -hmm. thing attached to them because you know my investments are basically my income. It's my it's my standard of living. So mm -hmm. I have to be on my game, and but I must I must pay attention. So mm -hmm. you know, once a month, I set aside my time and I burn some time to go walk through all those and make sure they're doing what I expect them to do and and that kind of stuff. After that, I don't. I currently don't have a lot of things going on in my scheduling issue, um, scheduling life, and and it's just like I said, it's just a matter of uh, keeping it under control by dealing with the stuff you don't want to deal with first. That was sort of the hardest thing to get past, but then life gets a lot easier after you do that. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the other thing I've done is I've invested in a, in a, a startup 
as an angel mm-hmm. investor. And, and I talk to those guys eh, once a month now and uh, just make sure everything's going good and, and do, but that's like, it's just like a, a consulting gig, you know, it's a scheduled mm-hmm. ahead thing. For many years, by the way, I have, I'm holding up a paper calendar, like a 2020 doesn't need one, but you know, whatever, a paper calendar and not a GCAL because people kept thinking they could throw things on my GCAL and claim that I had given mm-hmm. me a, a calendar invite, but it had nothing to do with asking me about when things happened or didn't. Yep. And I just enjoyed the paper. It was always available. You just carry around in my backpack. Um, you know, battery never runs out. It's high resolution writing. You know, I can change an ad and there's a complete history for the year. It's all convenient. I don't know. I love the paper. Nobody calendar. else can write in. <laughs> and nobody else can write in it. That's the big trick. You want to write in my calendar? Yeah. You talk to me. Okay, then, mm-hmm. then, then you're in. And I, you know, I, I've had admins write in my calendar, but they're writing it in, next to me after they've gotten permission to put me on that particular meeting. <laughs> Not like, I just threw you in on this. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> exactly. So, so that no, was, that's, that's, that's another one. Of, um, this, is the, this is the theory of just say no, which is, you know, you want to be productive. You want to have a good time. You want to manage your life well. Pick your poisons carefully. Pick your distractions carefully. Mm-hmm. Way more good ideas in the world and things to do than you have time for. Just say no and commit up front mm-hmm. to the no. Yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I kind of like to do that, but I kind of like to do this. I kind of want like to do this other thing. And you have mm-hmm. the kind of, kind of, kind of, and you never said no to any of them. are all hanging over your head as pending to do decisions, but you know you'll never have time for them all, and maybe you don't have time for any of them. No, just, just up front, acknowledge that you're never going to get around to it. Say no now. Free that emotional space from carrying around the, I have to make a decision about this at some point where I'm going to wait until the decisions at the last second, and then it'll be out of time, and I'll have to say no anyhow. If you're going to say no anyhow, just say no now. Yeah. Prioritize. Prioritize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that goes to do the hard things first. Here's an emotional decision I have to make by telling my friends, no, I don't want to go to their crummy bar that they love and I don't really like. Um, I'm, I'm kind of feel like I'm rejecting them, and you're not. You're just rejecting this social event they want you to go to that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you're a real introvert and crowds turn you off and you don't want to go to a noisy, crowded bar. It's just not your gig. And you love mm-hmm. your friends and they're great people, but you don't want to go to the bar. Yes. Admit it and say no. And then the next step, actually, in that case is to tell your friends, you know, I really hate going to these kind of noisy, crowded bars. It's just not my thing. I'd love to do something with you guys when you decide you want to do something that's, you know, quiet and few people. But, you know, noisy bar, just count me out. It's okay. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a very good point because it's still you know your time that you you're spending there and you know a part of your life and then it's, mm-hmm. it's your call to ju- just decide what you want to spend it on. That's definitely. Mm-hmm. I'm saying make the call that you're not going to spend it there and say no. And as you say no to more and more things, your free time becomes more and more apparent, mm-hmm. and your ability to pick what you want becomes mm-hmm. more apparent. Because you're not carrying around these, I can't set aside time for myself because I maybe I'll go to these folks' things and maybe I'll do this thing over here and maybe I'll go to the boss's barbecue and maybe I'll do this. You know, you start saying no. And after a while, you've got spare time on your hands that you have no commitments to. And now what you want pops to the top and you get to do what you want. That's very, very well said. Yeah, that's very important. Um, so, okay, uh, last question from my side. Uh, it's a little bit different. What is the one book 
that had the biggest like impact on you or that you would recommend or your favorite or whatever comes to your mind? Oh, the one, one book? Or even 10 books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was young, I read voraciously. Generally sci-fi, sci-fi fantasy stuff, but tremendously fast reader. Um, <clears throat> in more recent memory, uh, the reading that had the greatest impact in my life is kind of funny. Um, a conversation with God. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not a religious person, but maybe I'm spiritual. So there's forces in the universe greater than myself. You know, it's the, the hardest thing to see is the thing that you won't admit. Um, or some things you have to see to believe and some things you have to believe to see. Mm -hmm. um, that book really gave me a new perspective on sort of spirituality that really, really helped. Um, that was sort of the, I'm trying to think of anything else that was sort of life changing as a reading material. I've done a lot of things that have been life changing since the divorce that really have helped me out as a person. And of course, hand in hand with that came, uh, my life got a lot better. Oh, I can quit letting people run me around and make my life miserable. Um, not everyone, you know, we all walk our different paths in life. I don't know. It's like I said, it's been a while since I've done <clears throat> sort of a, a hardcore deep read and really gotten something out of it. You know, occasionally I read new technical things that are fun and new ideas come out of it, but that's not a life-changing thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been reading about new programming concepts and programming styles and languages and theory all my life. So that's just the, the normal. The new keeps rolling around. just happens. Yeah. Um, you know, React Manifesto is a cool concept way to write reactive programming. Even the term reactive programming is new, but, but I get it. It's asynchronous programming taken out sort of to the max, and then how do you deal with it? Um, cool, fun read, not life-changing, mm -hmm. right? I'm doing this thing with fancy typing systems. I have re-plumbed these classic Henley-Milner algorithm substantially, achieving what it normally achieves, but in a way that is friendly to an entirely different paradigm of how it is typically presented. I claim that'll be a cool read for somebody else, but not life-changing. Yeah. Oh, you can do this with Henry Milner and, and think about it this other way and you can completely change the algorithm around and now it behaves, but you can integrate it with whatever. Not life-changing, but cool. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Um, like I said, it's been a while since I had a, a book that did life-changing on me. Um, one of the most fun things I did, and this one you really have to get your head into, but, but boy, I got a lot out of it. There's a... a um, Peaks Potential, or I want to say New Peaks. I have to go look up the name, damn it. There's a, it's a self-improvement company. They have, they had a guy who, his first name's Harvey, who had a bunch of courseworks he's made to help people just improve their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and all manner of, of self-improvement kind of things related to self-awareness mm -hmm. uh, around money, around love, around themselves, around life, around goals, or whatever. And I took one of those courses, really loved it, took a couple more. They're kind of expensive. Um, ultimately spent a bunch of money there, and it was totally worth it. 100% mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> that was life-changing. 
mm-hmm. and and really made me a much better person because it got me sort of past being stuck in my head. Like I knew I was stuck in my head through the long years of being married and the divorce kind of showed me where I stopped moving forward in my life journey. Mm-hmm. And these folks kind of opened up a bunch of doors uh, to myself and showed me a bunch of things that I, I was vaguely aware of, but hadn't moved from deep in my gut into my head. And once you get into your head that you're like an introvert, you can now make positive steps in your life to make your life happier for being an introvert. Just acknowledge you're an introvert. Okay. So one of the Mm -hmm. things I was, was what you might consider like a a money monk. I didn't want to think about money. I didn't want to deal with it. I just wanted enough to get by with my life. Mm -hmm. But money is a powerful tool. Money you can use to change the world. You can use it to change your life, make your life better, but you can put yourself in a better space so that you can help other people get into their better spaces. And money can help do that. So with that transition from I don't want to deal with money to money's a valuable tool, once I got that into my head and out of my gut, I can now begin to make life event, life decisions based around, you know, a little Machiavellian for money, but actually there's plenty going around that in turn leave me in a better space that I can now go help other people in a better way, right? And some of it's just asking my value when I go do these consulting gigs instead of being the cheapest guy on the block with the bestest best. No, I'm, I'm, I'm expensive now, but there are plenty of people who happen to pay my money and, you know, I have as much as I want you know, in terms of that front. Um, so, so that company and those sets of courses, uh, the big one is warrior camp. Really, really, those are major life changing events. Um, the easy mm-hmm. one to get into, it's like free to get in. It's like, um, millionaire mindset. Let me go find the name for the proper name. Let me give these guys the correct attribution here. And, and, uh, millionaire mind intensive or something. Rude. Uh, now we can hear a yeah, keyword. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, Millionaire Mind Intensive. Okay. Um, and, and it's it's uh, Harvey Vecker. Yeah. Harv Ecker. Um, fine. So so looks like complete, you know, spammy kind of, you know, what the hell are we doing? Who goes to these things? Totally worth it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I claim I'm, I'm extremely picky about these things and I do not get sucker punched like ever for being very cons- like, I don't show me the money kind of thing first. And here you have to go in knowing that it feels a little sticky. I don't know how to say the right word. It feels a little carnival, mm-hmm. but they're trying to do an emotional mindset change. So a friendly, but emotional mindset change. So they have to get you in an emotional place. So Mm -hmm. the whole setup about how it works and where they go with it is it's a little bit of a carnival act to kind of get you into an emotional state that they can then show you where your emotions are steering you wrong and show you other ways to think about problems. And and, and you have to do an emotional learning. Like your head already knows these Mm -hmm. things. Your head knows that money is a powerful Mm -hmm. tool. Your head knows that you can make your life better. Your head knows all these things. And you go in to ask for the raise. And the boss says, well, how's life? What's going on? Hey, you know, it's really great. We really love what you're doing. And pretty soon you're talked out of asking for money. And you've walked away and you haven't gotten any money out of your raise for the last year, right? 
So that sort of pattern plays out when you go interview for a job. It plays out when you go buy a car and the used car salesman selling you over and over and over again. And that's because you don't have it in your emotions that there's mm -hmm. the right way to treat yourself around money, right? And, and this is what these people are going to try and, and deal, teach you with. And, and they were successful with me. I really, I got a lot out of it. And then I piled in on a couple more things and they have a lot of stuff they sell. They hard sell a lot of stuff. I didn't hardly do any of the extras except the core courses, but the core courses were that, you know, Harvecker, um, they, he was the course designer. He's now dead of old age. Um, totally worth it. Fine. Okay. I'm not mm -hmm. ranting there that you asked for life changing. Well, that was my well, life. Absolutely. Yeah. That's super helpful and awesome. Um, so do you have any other things that you would like to share that just come to your mind with regards to productivity or not to our listeners before we close it up? <laughs> I have no idea what your listeners are doing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Use yeah, a fast um, building tool or whatever. <laughs> right, right. So, so, so one of the things that I figured out decades ago is that every time and every day I look at what I am doing, spending my time, like, oh, here I'm doing this uh, uh, complicated programming language thing, and I'm using this Emacs with GDB, or I can't use GDB because it's Java, so I'm using IntelliJ, da 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 and I look at my workflow. Where am I spending time on? Hey, I got tests that take 15 minutes. Where, you know, what is burning up your day? And make the call mm -hmm. that how much time do I need to spend to make this problem that eats a bunch of my time up every day eat up less of it? Like I can spend some effort and make this thing run 10 times faster, but it's going to take me two days to make my quadratic search be parallel on my 20 core machine and it'll get 10 times faster. And, 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 you know, it'll, it'll save me in the long run. You do that cost benefit trade off all the time. Hey, I keep fumbling the keyboard every time when I'm trying to do this kind of refactoring or that kind of, what's the freaking shortcut? I'm going to spend 30 seconds learning a shortcut. Mm -hmm. I'm going to practice it 10 times and then I don't fumble it later, right? And so sometimes they're your big things. I'm taking my 15 or my two hour test run down to one hour to 10 minutes. Or sometimes they're taking my 30 seconds of screwing around to a one second button click. But you keep making these trade-offs mm -hmm. and you keep making the thinking yeah. about your work, not thinking in the work, but thinking on the work, on the work itself, on the process mm -hmm. of work, right? And you keep making little improvements in, in your life. And, you know, five, 10 years later, you can look back and say, oh my God, I'm such better off now than where I was back then because I know how to do these things. I can go faster here. I can do this. Like, like if you don't know shell programming. Long-term investments, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. right. It's a long-term investment. Shell programming is totally worth it to learn how to do in the long term because there's new things in shell programming you can't do anywhere else. Quick, fast, easy. If you know a little bit of shell programming, and it will, you know, if you if you fail to understand any shell programming, you will typically fail to understand most complex build systems. Once the build system gets past where it has multiple different things, you're running a doc system for building the docs. You're running a graphical thing to put up the imagery. You're running the, the React Native thing, which has a bunch of you know, NPM and all these other things. And you have a complicated build system. It's all these parts. There's a bunch of shell bits and scripts in there. If you don't understand shell mm -hmm. programming, you can't touch it. Suddenly, you have a build system you can't touch. You have to go beg somebody else to change the build system because you need to change or you want to do a local fix or whatever. Freaking do a long-term investment, learn some shell programming. Same kind of mindset 
When you realize that you're being blocked in your forward progress by something that's in your face, burn the time now, educate yourself for the long run. Perfect. Very well said. Yeah, thanks a lot for uh, the super interesting episode. I really, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, for all of our listeners, well, thanks for listening. Stay healthy.